1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We'll start out the day with a look at the, well, the regular headlines and then the lighter side of the news. And in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. This week featuring Lisa Pierce of the U.S. Office of Open Doors about the World Watch List. We'll hear from Steve Martin of Wycliffe Associates on their work, Translating Scripture. Johnny Erickson Tata about her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, and Os Guinness about the great, the greatest quest. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program, The Christian Outlook. Well, the first employment report of 2023 shows robust strength in the labor market as the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. The Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics says a whopping 517,000 non-farm jobs were created in January, way above the estimated 183,000. Job growth was widespread, led by gains in leisure and hospitality, professional and business services, health care. Employment also increased in government, partially reflecting the return of workers from a strike. Well, in another headline number, the unemployment rate dropped a tenth of a point, To 3.4% after remaining in the 3.5 to 3.7% range since March. Notably, the number of employed Americans increased by 894,000 to 160,000. 138, or I should say 160 million to 138,000 in January, breaking last month's record. At the same time, the number of unemployed, no job but looking, dropped by 28,000, and the combination of the two pushed the jobless rate down. In January, the civilian uh, uh, um, non-institutional population uh, in the United States was 265 uh, million, That included all people, 16 and older, who did not live in an institution such as a prison, nursing home, or long-term care facility. Of that civilian non-institutional population, um, 165 million were participating in the labor force, meaning they were either employed or unemployed. They either had a job or were actively looking for one during last month. So it was encouraging news with regard to the jobs. Well, eye in the sky. China has announced its government is looking into reports that a suspected Chinese spy balloon was discovered flying in U.S. airspace over Montana. They just apparently had no idea. China is responsible, is a responsible country and has always strictly abided by international laws. And China has no intention to violate the territory and airspace of any sovereign countries. That's a quote from the foreign ministry spokesperson Mao Ning. Uh, During a uh, daily briefing on Friday, she also urged U.S. officials and Chinese authorities to proceed calmly and carefully amid the investigation. The U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, was scheduled to visit China on Friday, becoming the highest ranking U.S. official to visit the country since the start of COVID-19, but um, is not. Uh, It's not entirely clear how long the balloon has been in the U.S., although we do know it has been there at least for the last few days, the senior defense officials said the government has been tracking it for some time and that it entered U.S. airspace a couple of days ago. Many are asking the question, why not just shoot it down and make the point uh, that we're being told that uh, at this point it might be, uh, pose a danger to those on the ground in Montana where they have lots of ground. First on Fox, President Biden secured a two hundred and fifty thousand line thousand uh, dollar line of credit against his Delaware beach home. And um, in new cases, experts are warning fungal illness that mimics covid-19 could spread across the U.S. The First Amendment fight, a veteran sued after being uh, arrested for holding a God bless the homeless vet sign. Hmm. Protecting the House, House Speaker McCarthy launched a new effort To expand the Republican majority in the next election and calling the gang of eight, Speaker McCarthy is uh, calling for a meeting of the minds over the suspected Chinese spy balloon. HOV clearing. An Arizona bill would allow pregnant women to drive solo in HOV lanes because, of course, they're not solo. The FBI is planning to search former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home for classified documents. And employment headwinds. Job growth is expected to slow as companies put the brakes on hiring. Violent acts. A video shows students mercilessly beating a nine year old girl on a school bus. That's not to mention the school teacher who was mercilessly beaten uh, by a student and um, ended up with a broken leg. The House removed Ilhan Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. The House of Representatives voted Thursday to remove the representative from the Foreign Affairs Committee over her history of making anti-Semitic remarks. Omar has made several uh, comments throughout her career. Before entering public office in 2012, she tweeted that Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel, end quote. And although she apologized for the comments, she has sub- subsequently made additional anti-Semitic remarks. Washington Examiner points out that McCarthy previously removed Representatives Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell unilaterally from the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, citing Schiff's handling of the investigations into former President Donald Trump's alleged ties to Russia and Swalwell's relationship with an alleged Chinese spry. Schiff and Swalwell have repeatedly insisted they did nothing wrong. A conservative New Jersey councilwoman was shot, killed outside her home. The New Jersey councilwoman Uh, was in her car on Wednesday evening, officials said. She was 30 years old. Eunice Dwumfor, a councilwoman in Sayreville, New Jersey, located about 25 miles southwest of Newark, was identified as the victim. Responding officers found her in her vehicle with several gunshot wounds and was pronounced dead on the scene. The governor said, I am stunned by the news of the uh, councilwoman, her murder last evening in an act of gun violence. I send condolences to her family and friends and the entire community. She was known for her devout Christian faith. A retrospective of media's coverage of uh, Russiagate, the Columbia Journalism Review says no narrative did more to shape Trump's relations with the press than Russiagate. The story, which included the Steele dossier and the Mueller report, among other uh, totemic uh, moments, resulted in Pulitzer Prizes as well as embarrassing uh, retractions and damaging careers. For Trump, the press's pursuit of the Russian story convinced him that any sort of normal relationship with the press was impossible. Mummified legend Bob Woodward, the Federalist reports, is quoted in the piece, authored this week by former New York Times journalist Jeff Gerth, urging newsrooms to walk down the painful road of introspection, Girth himself says news outlets and watchdogs haven't been as forthright in examining their own Trump-Russia coverage. As horrid as the media was pre-Trump, its shortcomings were mostly recognized as liberal bias. What they did beginning in 2017 and ever since isn't bias, it's dishonest, it's malicious, it's evil. Conservative board members are looking to restore a failing and ideologically adrift new college in Florida DeSantis is pushing back. He's look, looking to restore the failing and ideological uh, drift, uh, drifting new college in Florida. The governor uh, announced the appointment of Christopher Rufo, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, Dr. Charles Kessler, Dr. Mark Burlin, Deborah Jenks and Jason Eddy, Eddie, uh, Eddie Spear, to the new College of Florida Board of Trustees. The immediate experiment is to say um, can we take a university that is notoriously low performing? Can we change it to a classical liberal arts model? Bring uh, conservative uh, faculty, bring in conservative leadership, bring in new president, which we've just done. We terminated the contract of the now former president at our first board meeting. The bigger experiment I can um is can conservatives actually govern public institutions? Can they start changing the culture of the public universities? And then, can this be a model for every red state in the country to go away from the DEI style bureaucracy? New board members also included Ryan Anderson. Anthony Blinken was preparing to meet with Xi Jinping in China, but that's off. Anthony Blinken is expected or was expected to meet Xi Jinping in Beijing, making him the first U.S. secretary of state to sit down with the Chinese leader in nearly six years and the first President Joe Biden's cabinet secretaries to visit the country. The top U.S. diplomat would uh, meet Xi during his two day visit, which started on was to start on Sunday. Blinken was visiting China after the president and Xi agreed in Bali in November that they would find ways to stabilize the turbulent U.S.-China relationship. The United States has warned the Chinese government of consequences should China provide weaponry to Russia for use against Ukraine. Well, that trip has been called off because of the uh, surveillance balloon that's now hovering over Montana. Dr. Peter McCullough's free speech case has been thrown out. A district judge vindicated Texas cardiologist and outspoken COVID vaccine critic Dr. Peter McCullough on Wednesday, dismissing a lawsuit filed against him approximately two years ago, By his former employer, Baylor Scott and White Health uh, System, McCullough dubbed a prominent purveyor of COVID misinformation by his detractors, was sued by the health system two years ago for allegedly violating a separation agreement and bringing the Baylor Scott and White Health names into the media. Associate Judge Tahira Khan Merritt of the uh, Judicial District Court Dallas County dismissed the suit with prejudice. Dr. Anthony Hinton said Dr. Peter McCullough wins an important legal case in the U.S. All doctors have a right to freedom of speech and a duty to speak the truth to protect patients. A good day for ethical, caring doctors and their patients around the world. Senators are demanding information on classified documents pertaining to Trump, Biden and Pence. The Washington Examiner reports that the senators on the Intelligence Committee are demanding that Attorney General Merrick Garland and National Intelligence Director Arville Haynes Turn over all classified documents seized at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence and at the Penn Biden Center think tank, which housed records from Joe Biden's time as vice president. Senator Marco Rubio and Mark Warner in August of last year demanded both Garland and Haynes provide classified materials in relation to the investigation surrounding the pair in January, uh, made it uh, similar request uh, following the classified materials being found at the think tank. Now the senators are urging immediate compliance with these requests following the Department of Justice not providing any documents. Uh, Here's the letter Warner and Rubio just sent to Garland and Haynes on the classified docs. Andrew Desiderio points out they wrote, we urge your immediate compliance with our previous request, which we now extend to those classified materials subsequently discovered at Biden Pence homes. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back with more hard news and then a look at the lighter side of the news. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear this week's Christian Outlook featuring Lisa Pierce of the U.S. Office of Open Doors on the World Watch List. A conversation with Steve Martin of Wycliffe Associates on Bible translation. Johnny Erickson Tata, her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, and a conversation Eric McTaxis had with Os Guinness about The Great Quest. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, the U.S. is suffering from a decline in churches. Churches are closing at rapid numbers in the U.S., researchers say, as congregations dwindle across the country. And a younger generation of Americans abandoned Christianity altogether, even as faith continues to dominate American politics. As the U.S. adjusts to an increasingly non-religious population, thousands of churches are closing every year in the country, a figure that experts believe may have accelerated since the COVID-19 pandemic. Life Research says in 2019, approximately 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the U.S., but 4,500 Protestant churches closed. In 2014, an estimated 4,000 Protestant churches were planted, while 3,700 closed in a year. A Connecticut representative and Democrat is proposing banning the woke term Latinx, or Latinx, depending on who you're speaking to. Hispanic lawmakers in Connecticut have proposed a new state law that would ban the term from government documents. State law that would uh, also... um, Eschew the term. Democratic State Representative Geraldo Reyes believes the term which progressive activists have encouraged people to use as a gender neutral version of Latino or Latina is disrespectful. I'm of Puerto Rican descent and I find it offensive, Reyes said, clarifying that the term was created by progressive ideologues and did not arise originally or organically. Uh, The Daily Wire points out a national poll conducted in October found that only 1% of Hispanics identify as Latinx or Latinx, a, a gender neutral term imposed on Hispanics by left wing culture. The Chinese communists are provoking a weak president. A high altitude surveillance balloon has been detected floating over the northern continental U.S., Currently hovering over Montana, the Pentagon noted that it's been tracking a Chinese spy balloon. Brigadier General Pat Ryder explained the balloon is currently traveling at an altitude well above commercial air traffic and does not present a military or physical threat to people on the ground. Thus far, Joe Biden's Defense Department has elected not to shoot the spy balloon down, citing concerns over the potential of a large debris field causing damage or injury to people below. However, Republicans in Montana aren't buying that excuse. With Senator Ryan Zinke calling on Biden to shoot it down. He adds the Chinese spy balloon is clear, prov- is a clear provocation in Montana. We do not bow. We shoot it down. Take the shot. Governor Greg uh, Fort responded from the sky balloon to the Chinese Communist Party spying on Americans through TikTok to the Chinese Communist Party linked companies buying American farmland. I'm deeply troubled by the constant stream of alarming developments for our national security, End quote. Beijing has admitted the balloon is indeed from China, but according to a spokesperson, it is a civilian airship used for research, mainly meteorological purposes, and pigs can fly. The FBI found no classified documents at uh, the president's beach house. Months after several classified documents were found at his uh, think tank in Washington and at his home in Wilmington, Delaware, the FBI finally got around to searching his beach house in uh, Rehoboth, Delaware. Well, according to Biden's personal lawyer, Bob Bauer, FBI agent searched the home for roughly three and a half hours. They found no classified documents, but did take some handwritten notes that dated back to Biden's tenure as vice president. Bauer also emphasized that the search was carried out with full support and cooperation of Biden. It's no surprise that the FBI found no more classified documents, given the fact that Biden and his legal team had weeks to comb through his beach house ahead of time. Why did it take so long for the FBI to finally get around to conducting the search? Once that first classified document was found in Biden's Wilmington home, it should have triggered an immediate action by the Justice Department to search all of his properties. Several facts have become quite clear. Despite his claims otherwise, Biden does not take the handling of classified material seriously. Biden and company have been anything but transparent through the growing scandal. And finally, the Justice Department hasn't been acting as an independent law enforcement agency, but has gone out of its way to accommodate the president and dismiss any lawbreaking as supposedly trivial and inconsequential. The January jobs report, as mentioned earlier, the U.S. economy added 517,000 jobs in January, far exceeding the estimates of $187,000. Headline unemployment also fell to 3.4 percent, its lowest level since 1969. There is a bit of caveat there, uh, as a fuller measure of unemployment, counting those who deliberately sit on the sidelines, rose to 6.6%. Meanwhile, the problem of unfulfilled job openings remains, as there are still roughly 11 million open positions. The Good Jobs report... um, However, has not dispelled fears of a slowing economy, with some economists still expecting recession later in the year. In related news, Joe Biden's top economic aide, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese, announced on Thursday that he will be leaving the administration the president uh, heaped praise on Deese for helping steer my economy and my economic vision into reality, given the role he played in getting critical legislation passed. That legislation being Biden's um, inflationary American Rescue Plan and dubiously titled Inflation Reduction Act. Well, thanks in part to Deese, Americans have been suffering under a 40 year high inflation. Well, despite the president's accolades, Deese's economic advice certainly didn't benefit the American worker and taxpayer, though it sure did further the expansion of big government. Eighty six House Democrats voted against a resolution condemning socialism and Arkansas Governor Sarah Sanders will deliver the GOP response to President Biden's State of the Union address next week. Los Angeles students will be allowed to carry Narcan in schools amid a deadly fentanyl crisis. The fact that they have to carry it is rather disturbing. University of Chicago selected failed candidates Beto O'Rourke and Tim Ryan to teach politics. And in a bit of humor, Paxitani Phil emerged from his borough to let everyone know there were documents marked classified down there. Well, on this day in history, 1690, the first paper money in America is issued by the Massachusetts Bay Colony to finance a military expedition to Canada. 1913, the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, providing for a federal income tax, is ratified. 1930, on this day, William Howard Taft, the 27th President of the United States, resigns as Chief Justice for health reasons. He would die just over a month later. 1943, during World War II, the U.S. transport ship SS Dorchester, which is carrying troops to Greenland, sinks after being hit by a German torpedo in the Labrador Sea. Of the more than 900 men aboard, only some 230 survived. 1959, on this day, the day the music died, rock and roll star Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. the Big Bopper Richardson die in a small plane crash near Clear Lake, Iowa. 1966, the Soviet probe Luna 9 becomes the first man-made object to make a soft landing on the moon. 1988, the U.S. House of Representatives hands President Ronald Reagan a major defeat, rejecting his request for $36.2 million in new aid to the Nicaraguan Contras by a vote of 219 to 211. 1994, the space shuttle Discovery lifts off, carrying um, Sergei Krikalev, a, a, the first Russian cosmonaut to fly aboard a U.S. spacecraft. 1995, Discovery blasts off with a woman, Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Eileen Collins, in the pilot seat for the first time in NASA history. 1998, Texas executes Carla Faye Tucker, 38, for the pickaxe killings of two people in 1983. She's the first woman executed in the United States since 1984. And finally, on this day in history, 2009, Eric Holder becomes the first black U.S. Attorney General as he is sworn in by Vice President Joe Biden. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. And when we return, James Blend will join me for the lighter side of the news. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Joining me, James Blend, to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Jimmy, how are you today? Oh, I'm hanging, although I'm I'm a little sad.
0: Uh, Well, it's been a kind of a sad week around here.
2: No, it's not that. Ira Bob Bourne, a candy company executive known as the father of peeps for pioneering the way the chick-shaped candies are made, has died. Just born quality confections announced on Monday. The father of peeps, marshmallow candy, died at 98. That's why I'm sad.
0: I think what probably killed him was the unveiling recently of the Dr. Pepper flavored peeps.
2: That could vary. It did nearly took me, I have to tell you. That's I, just... I, was,
0: I was repulsed, not to the point of death, but repulsed.
2: Yeah, definitely that. Well, Bourne, who died on Sunday, was the son of Just Born founder Sam Bourne, joining the Pennsylvania-based company after he left the Navy following World War II. He was an inventor whose amazing intellect allowed him to see solutions to almost any situation And I think the peeps were definitely the answer to a question we had been unaware that we were asking. Most notable was his ability to see how peeps, which were made by hand, could be produced in a mechanical manner. He designed the machine that deposits the peep marshmallow chicks, and his machine was in use for well over 50 years. His design became the basis for the current marshmallow depositing system. The man's a genius. In 1953, Jess Bourne, which also makes uh, Mike and Ike, and um, Goldenberg's Peanut Chews, acquired Rada Candy, uh, which made jelly beans, but also created shaped marshmallow candies by hand that took nearly 26 hours to make. Bourne and an engineer built a machine to make the marshmallow quicker, churning out the candies in under six minutes. And while there were some modifications over the years, the company continued to use one resembling one Born developed. Again, the father of peeps has gone on to his reward. Bob will be remembered as a tireless and passionate advocate for the candy industry and a wonderful supporter of our community. Bob was our second generation family member whose dedication was instrumental in Just Born, reaching the 100 year milestone. We extend our deepest sympathy to his son, Ross, the entire family, the board chair and CEO of Just Born said the candy business was kind of catchy. It was interesting to him, and the peep at his hand was born.
0: Now, we, we we talk about the peep, and I think we have made it abundantly clear over the years, especially you have, that you have your own special preparation for said uh, Easter candies.
2: Yes, I like a vintage aged peep.
0: A vintage aged peep. So the question is, was he that much of a genius if he didn't create the product as you like it?
2: I think he was trying to appeal to the broader public. Not that's everyone fair. wants an aged peep. I happen to like that. Uh, some people don't. I also like the fresh peep. So it, it was uh, a product that could be enjoyed by people on a range, on a continuum of taste.
0: That, that's fair. And, and, you know, credit where credit's due. I, I, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, this was an email, uh, t- an email tip that we received earlier this week. Uh, in fact, I received it
2: uh, from a name that some people might actually know. Lou Davies sent this. Lou to Davies me. did indeed send that. <laughs> he and that I in. hadn't connected in several years, certainly since before the pandemic, and it was so good to hear from him and to receive this tip. He remembered all those years ago <clears throat> that I happened to be the world's number one Peep fan.
0: It was one of those <laughs> things when you see somebody's name come up in your email that hasn't been you haven't talked to in a while, you wonder if oh somebody hacked their account. I'm getting spam email. And I looked, and I was, it was about peeps. I'm like, no, nope, that's Lou. That's definitely Lou. <laughs> yeah. Who to this day I refer to as the smartest man in KPDQ history because he hired me.
2: Well, there is that. I've chosen not to hold that against him. That's fair. Well, people gathered on Thursday at Gobbler's Knob as members of the Puxitani Phil Inner Circle, summoned the groundhog from his tree stump at dawn to learn if it was, uh, if he was seeing his shadow. And they said he did. According to folklore, if he uh, sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of winter. If he doesn't, spring comes early. Well, the Inner Circle is a group of local dignitaries who are responsible for planning the events as well as feeding and caring for Phil himself. You might remember one of those dignitaries a couple of years ago actually dropped Phil to his death. Well, he survived this one, but the annual event in Puxatawny, about 65 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. Um, originated from a German legend about a furry rodent. The gathering's uh, annual event attracts thousand, thousands. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration compared Puxitani Phil's forecast to the national weather the last 10 years and found on average Phil has gotten it right about 40% of the time. Not a great record, but you got to love Phil. This year, Phil's prediction came during a week when a mess of ice, sleet, and snow has lingered across much of the the southern part of the country. According to records dating back to 1887, Phil has predicted winter more than 100 times. Ten years were lost uh, because no records were kept, according to organizers. And the 2021 and 2022 forecasts also call for six more weeks of winter. And while Puxitani Phil may be the most famous groundhog seer, he's certainly not the only one. New York York City's Staten Island Chuck made his prediction for an early spring during the event on Thursday at Staten Island Zoo. Phil and Chuck are among a broad selection of rodents that purportedly predict weather as well. In fact, there is a Canadian groundhog who's in on this whole thing. His name is Fred. Well, is that right? Fred Lamont. He actually died before making the winter prediction across North, (laughs) across North America, prognosticating groundhogs traditionally make their annual weather predictions on the 2nd of February. But no one could have predicted what happened to one up in Quebec. Sadly, Fred Lamont. The Quebeci's cousin to Puxitani fell died shortly before he was scheduled to reveal whether the Canadian province would experience six more weeks of winter. That's according to the Canadian outlet Global News. Uh, The organizer of the local Groundhog Day event had to announce the tragic death to a crowd of spectators gathered waiting for his uh, his answer. When I went to wake him up last night, he had no vital signs. He most likely died during hibernation. Well, he uh, suspected that Fred passed away in late fall or early December at the age of nine. Okay, so he was left unattended all that time. I'm a little confused. Wow, that is a
0: little concerning. Yeah,
2: so for that long a period of time, and then you find, okay. Despite Fred's demise, the Quebec event went ahead. I have no respect for Fred up in Quebec, though with a plush groundhog as a stand-in. Meanwhile, a group of children made the official weather prediction foreseeing a prolonged winter. One of the groundhog's sons, Fred Jr., will take his dad's spot next year. Of course, he's traumatized after seeing the stuffed animal take his dad's place this year, and they're hoping with counseling he'll be prepared for the next thing. Well, just as uh, fair as Groundhog Day uh, uh, question uh, is, rodents predicting weather trends is, is a big question. Why rodents? Well, why not? And more importantly, why should Puxitani Phil always get to um, hog the press? Well, the um, before we take a look at some of the other options that are available, uh, the spring heralding or spring delaying small animal has taken firm root in some swaths of American culture. And while Phil and his Pennsylvania ilk are the most celebrated, there is an astonishingly broad selection of other critters who have felt the need, or at least their handlers have, to put reputations on the line to predict meteorology in the dead of winter, and here are a few: Jimmy the Groundhog in Wisconsin caused controversy in 2015 after biting the mayor of Sun Prairie on the ear. Ouch! Uh, there's um, Milltown Mel in New Jersey. Uh, the event got caught up in uh, problems with state law this year after the previous prognosticator expired. Woody the woodchuck in Michigan emerged from a tiny green door in a small human-made tree stump on Thursday. No word as to what he predicted. Woodstock Willie in Illinois saw his shadow Thursday. Uh, site of where the best ever PR around the world, the 1993 movie Groundhog Day, was actually filmed. Then there's some um, Octorora Orphe in Pennsylvania. I have no idea. Uh, he predicts from a home base in Quarryville in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, because uh, of Pennsylvania Dutch folklore, which helped give birth to the Groundhog Day tradition, that region has several on the job, including uh, Mount Joy Many and Dover Doug. Staten Island Chuck, uh, New York, I mentioned him already, and Buckeye Chuck in Ohio. Another Chuck, this one uh, further inland. This year, according to reports, the Chuck used uh, publicly was uh, a stuffed one after the animal rights group objected to how a live one had been treated. So there you have it. Well, In that one's
0: definitely not going to see its shadow. It doesn't have eyes.
2: That's true. In other words, uh, we have no idea what's going to happen next.
0: You know, it's funny because uh, the uh, you know, Oregon at the Oregon zoo, they have Stumptown Phil, who's actually a beaver, but that's their prognosticator who also said six more weeks of winter. But uh, you know, they they get it right 40% of the time. From what <laughs> I checked out, current weather technology on long-term forecasts is only about 50%. Wow. So, you know, they're not that far off. Uh, but I've been to Punxsutawney. I don't know if I've ever told you that. I've been to Punxsutawney. I've been to Gobbler's Knob, not on Groundhog Day. But I can tell you right now, at least when I was there 20 years ago, you did not want to mention the movie. Oh, really? There There was some definite bitter feelings about the fact that the movie makers... Uh, shot it in Illinois oh. uh, because they didn't fit the vibe well enough.
2: <laughs> the actual place and the people. Hooray for Hollywood! Wow. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on our second hour, the Christian Outlook. But for now, we'll be back with more of the lighter side of the news.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend has joined me to take a look at the lighter side of the news. Indeed. Well, the sweet smell of green chili roasting on an open flame permeates New Mexico every fall, wafting from roadside stands and grocery store parking lots and inducing mouthwatering visions of culinary wonders. Well, now one state lawmaker says it's time for everyone to wake up and smell the chili. Senator Bill Soles, well, he visited with some fifth-grade students in his southern district, and it sparked a conversation about the savory hot pepper and the potential for New Mexico to become the first state in the nation to proudly have an official state aroma. Proposal now being considered by lawmakers. a An official state aroma. Uh, it's very unique to our state, says Las Cruces Democrat, um, of roasting chili. I've tried to think of any other state that has a smell or aroma that is that distinctive statewide, and I can't think of any, he says. Well, for New Mexico, chili is more than a key ingredient for every meal. It's life. It is at the center of the official state question, red or green, and is one of the state's official vegetables. New Mexico produced more than 60 percent of the U.S. chili chili pepper crop in 21 and is home to Hatch, an agricultural village known as the chili capital of the world, For the unique red and green peppers, it has uh, turned out for generations. The famous crop also is used in powders, sauces, and salsas that are shipped worldwide. Legislation recognizing roasted chili as the official aroma passed its first committee on Tuesday, and supporters say it's not uh, not likely to fire up much debate, other than lawmakers sharing their own stories about how they can't go a day without eating it. From red chili lattes... to smothered breakfast burritos, to plates of enchiladas and tamales infused with the pepper. Chili is in the hearts and on the minds of all New Mexicans, and the smell of fresh roasting green chili allows us to reminisce on a memory eating or enjoying our beloved signature crop. We like to call that memory a person's chili story, and each of us as New Mexicans have one. That's uh, Travis Day, executive director of the New Mexico Chili Association, who's thrilled with the idea. While well, officially recognizing the aroma could also pay off as another way to market New Mexico to visitors. A legislative analysis of the bill noted that peak tourist season typically begins in March and tapers down toward the end of October, meaning it overlaps with the time for chili roasting. The analysis also noted that New Mexico has consistently lower. Um, visitors than neighboring Colorado, which reports 84.2 million visitors in 2021, compared to about 40 million in Mexico. The new state aroma could help draw visitors away from Colorado and into New Mexico. Huh.
0: It does beg an interesting question here in Oregon. I don't what, even want to
2: think about it. What would our
0: state aroma be?
2: <laughs> yeah, if you're in Albany, there's that. If you're in downtown Portland, there's that. Yeah, I'm not sure what we would. Uh, what we would go for
0: i mean I, I i mean i guess the only thing that jumps to mind that would be you know even something you could say on the radio would be micro i i guess i mean seattle yeah, would you, probably be coffee
2: do you smell it though i mean it's i, it's-
0: I mean i guess it has
2: an aroma, yeah. but it's not. It doesn't permeate the.
0: I mean, like I said, Seattle's got coffee. What you know, we have plenty down here, but you can't have what Seattle's got, so you got to have your own thing. Yeah.
2: yeah, I don't know. I don't. A I'm state not sure.
0: Aroma. We have kale. Does leisure. kale have a smell?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure we have enough leisure in the state of Oregon, and uh, we have so few problems that there's time to really Doug think Fur, about maybe?
0: that. Could be that. Could, <laughs> Doug Fur might be it.
2: Yeah. No. No. I think there's enough for the lawmakers to do.
0: Well, that yeah. None of it's productive either, so why not throw another thing on the plate? (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
2: Well, what would a Friday show be without a couple of uh, Guinness World Records? Well, a German dog trainer earned a Guinness World Record with his team of talented canines when 14 performing pooches formed a conga line. Wolfgang Lorenberger earned the record for most dogs on a conga line when his 14 trained canines arranged themselves rather, into the party dance formation under his instruction. He's an accomplished trainer with multiple Guinness World Records, took the record from his own daughter, Alexa Lorenberger, who managed to get nine dogs into a conga line back in February of last year. The dogs who formed the conga line from Lorenberger's record attempt are named Emma, Falau, Finn, Simon, Susie, Maya, Ulf, Speck, B.B., Katie, Jennifer, Elvis, Charlie, and Kathy. I thought it fitting that their names be mentioned, since they are, in fact, the record holders. Uh, Meanwhile, an Idaho man has set a world record uh, for fist bumps. Really, a, a world record for fist bumps. Frequent Guinness World Record breaker David Rush broke the previous Guinness World Record for the most alternating fist bumps in 30 seconds. He shared a video Sunday of himself taking on the feat with his neighbor's son. Uh, the pair managed 273 alternating fist bumps in 30 seconds, nearly 100 more than the Nafis' um, previous record of 174. Joey and I had to punch each other thousands of times to make this happen. We bled, we sweated, we bruised. We got rid of the unfair pain when Joey made he, made me take off my brass knuckles, the wedding band. Rush wrote on his website the final result 273 alternating fist bumps in 30 seconds taking down the previous record. We actually made uh, contact 297 times in 30 seconds. But Guinness has um, uh, stringent qualifications for what constitutes valid alternating fist bumps and 24 had to be disqualified. Fist bumps. Yeah. I guess if you don't have anything else to do.
0: You know we're past the. I mean, we're past at least the lockdown phase of the pandemic here. People have returned to society, and they're still doing this
2: <laughs> why yeah, well i I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell it's you just just why well, you know James Valentine's Day is coming, and I know you and uh you and the little lady don't really acknowledge Valentine's Day. It's not that important to Dan and i either i I'll give him a card but An obscure act of love or pettiness is becoming a popular tradition at zoos on Valentine's Day. Several zoos are offering the opportunity to name a cockroach as a Valentine's gift. Couples are naming roaches after their significant others or, in some cases, after their exes. What about their talk show hosts? Hey. The the Bronx Zoo in New York is offering Valentine's roach packages ranging from $15 to $75. The works package includes a tumbler, tote, A certificate commemorating the roach that is named and a virtual visit with the roach, a hissing cockroach, and a surprise animal guest. Nothing says love like, well, a hissing cockroach. You don't always have the the right words, but you can still give them goosebumps. Name a roach for your valentine because roaches are forever. The Bronx Zoo Zoo says on their website, at the San Antonio Zoo, Zoo scorned uh, exes can name a cockroach after their former partner and watch it be eaten as part of its Cry Me a Cockroach fundraiser. They may also donate uh, to name a, a rodent or a vegetable destined for the same fate. The exes will receive a virtual Valentine's Day card informing them that a cockroach was named in their honor and eaten. According to the San Antonio Zoo, the most popular names during last year's fundraiser were Jacob and Sarah. The El Paso Zoo, Houston Museum of Natural Science, and Florida Aquarium are among the many other organizations to offer similar programs. A commercial waste management company in the United Kingdom will name a trash bin after a rubbish X for no charge at all. Names are collected with the submission of a free form, and after Valentine's Day, the company will draw a name at random. The Toronto Zoo has a Name a Roach program as well as a kinder alternative. Couples can adopt an African penguin couple. They'll receive a personalized certificate of adoption, artwork, and a plush toy. Wow. A plush toy? And a plush toy. Wow. (laughs) Of all the silly things. Speaking of silly things. Unfortunate things. A Michigan man says he was left with a thousand dollar bill after his six year old son ordered a virtual smorgasbord of food from several restaurants last weekend, leading to a string of unexpected deliveries and maybe a starring role in an ad campaign. Mr. Stonehouse said that the food started uh, piling up quickly at his Detroit area home on Saturday night. After he uh, let his son, Mason, use his cell phone to play a game before bed. He said the youngster um, instead used his father's Grubhub account to order food from one restaurant after another. The boy's mother told the Associated Press on Thursday that Grubhub has reached out to the family and offered them a $1,000 gift card. The company also is considering using the family in an online promotional campaign. Grubhub officials didn't immediately respond to a message from the AP seeking comment, but nonetheless, it was a generous offer from Grubhub, and who knows, this may mean a real future for the family, although the son, I think, is probably going to be in the doghouse for quite some time.
0: That's a lot of tips right there. That's wow. a lot of tips.
2: $1,000. How does a six-year-old know how to order food on Grubhub over it, and over again?
0: You know, I, I, it's funny. Uh, the, 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 the kids, they figured these things out on technology do. pretty quick. They uh, we talked a few weeks ago about my saga in getting my family to Disneyland at Christmas and having to drive to uh Yeah. Drive to um Anaheim from Portland thanks to cancelled airplanes. And uh my daughter was particularly content and I was uh, looked back and she was playing with my wife's iPad and I just figured she was playing a game. And then I realized she was watching videos on YouTube, which she's occasionally known to do, very uh very well behaved about watching, th- not watching anything she's not supposed to. It's all kid stuff and kid-friendly stuff. But the thought occurred to me, now how on earth does she have internet? Oh, How yeah. is she watching YouTube? She had figured out from the iPad how to tap into my phone and share my internet.
2: Oh, my goodness. And she's seven.
0: I Thankfully, it was not something that rung up my bill, but oh, my goodness, it could have. I mean, we're going through the Sierras or whatever, and, and uh, yeah, it, um, yeah, that could have been bad. But <laughs> instead, I couldn't even be mad at it. I,
2: I just was impressed. <laughs> well, you better stay on her good side. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a break. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour. And in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. Stay with us.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.